welcome to Oncofarm. I'm your host, John Bazaar, and I'm recording uh, back in my office here in Mount Home, Tennessee. And uh, as always, Oncofarm is brought to, you by the, brought to you by the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Today, we continue on with our Foundations of Oncology Pharmacy series, looking at you know the foundational drugs that we use on a daily basis. And today, we're going to talk about cytarabine. Uh, also known as Arisi. You'll probably hear it as Arisi a lot. Uh, it's got a, some other names too, a brand name here in the United States, Cytosar. Also Cytosine Arabicinide, Arabicinoil uh, Cytosine, 1-beta-D-Arabinofuranosyl Cytosine. Arisi is easier, right? As I teach students, uh, one of the things that I've found that's very confusing about learning oncology pharmacy and oncology drugs is that so many of them start with the letter C. You've got cis and carboplatin and cyclophosphamide, carmustine and cytarabine. So I think of cytarabine as the C1 that came from the C. Uh, so the history of this drug goes back to, uh, to 1951 and, and at this time there was, uh, you know, a, I guess a groundswell for increased cancer research and discovery of new drugs, and, and Congress had diverted some monies uh, to do that, and that included um, searching for natural products. So there is a sea sponge called Cryptotethia crypta, and in 1951, a cousin of cytarabine, the thymine cousin, uh, a rabicinose containing nucleoside of, of thymine, was discovered in this sea sponge, uh, and that led to um, uh, several other natural compounds that were called spongonucleosides, uh, and then eventually uh, the chemists got around to chemically synthesizing synthesizing these things. And by 1961, as we know, cytarabine uh, was studied in animal studies, so leukemia models, sarcoma models, all sorts of these models uh, showing uh, an anti-cancer effect. It is an anti-metabolite. Uh, more specifically, it's a pyrimidine analog that enters cells um, as cytarabine and then is phosphorylated first to the monophosphate and then to the di and triphosphate and then it is able to be incorporated into DNA as the monophosphate and that incorporation into DNA the more of the incorporation that happens the more inhibition of DNA polymerase that occurs and that correlates to drug efficacy so the more that is incorporated into DNA the more DNA polymerase inhibition you get and the more cell kill that you get. So if I were to quiz you and say, is this cell cycle specific or not? You should be able to figure out that this is uh, a cell cycle specific agent and is S phase specific. <clears throat> Cytarabine is um, a little bit, uh, I, I don't wanna say a rare drug, but it is a drug that's use is entirely limited to hematologic malignancies. It only has activity against leukemias and lymphomas. Uh, and the most common use that you probably see for cytarabine uh, is induction for adult AML. So the seven plus three regimen, where the seven refers to seven days of cytarabine the th and then three days of an anthracycline. And that's really the standard cytarabine dose, uh, 100 to 200 milligrams per meter squared per day as a continuous infusion for seven days. That's for AML induction. So that's kind of the standard dose. Um, now, it's a continuous infusion for seven days because the drug has a fairly short half-life and you've got to keep it in the system at all times to have that incorporation into DNA. It's also cell cycle specific. So the longer the, the leukemia cells are exposed to the drug, you basically ensure that every leukemia cell is going to enter the S phase during that week and they're going to be exposed to uh, 
to the, um, the phosphorylated cytarabine and make those cells susceptible to cell death. So that's the standard dose, 100 milligrams per liter squared. It's also used as a high dose for AML consolidation, and we call that HIDAC. So high dose ERASI, H-I-D-A-C, HIDAC. High dose ERASI is considered anything really from 1,000 milligrams per meter squared and up. So that's 10 times the standard dose. Um, and usually when we're giving high dose cytarabine, we'll, we're using doses up to three grams uh, per meter squared. And the classic regimen is, you know, 3,000 milligrams per meter squared IV over three hours, given every 12 hours for six doses. And that is a regimen that would require uh, GCSF prophylaxis because it's incredibly myelosuppressive. And uh, your GCSF uh, will keep your white count from getting drastically low but won't do anything to help those platelets. So they usually require platelet transfusions. There is also a low-dose cytarabine in AML. That's typically re re reserved for the elderly, and it's 10 milligrams per meter squared, or maybe just a flat dose of 20 milligrams, and that's given subcutaneously. So there is a subcutaneous formulation of cytarabine, or not a formulation, but a subcut administration possibility for cytarabine. The other ones I've talked about are IV. I just mentioned the sub-Q administration of cytarabine. There's also intrathecal uh, cytarabine use <clears throat> for patients that either have CNS, leukemia, or are at risk of having uh, their hematologic malignancy spread to the brain. So there's CNS prophylaxis with cytarabine, uh, oftentimes doses of 50 or 100 milligrams. Um, now there's a conventional cytarabine and a liposomal cytarabine. The liposomal cytarabine uh, is, uh, the brand name is Deficite, and it's specific for CNS um, but it's for intrathecal administration. And the uh, liposomal cytarabine for intrathecal use does require pretreatment with dexamethasone to prevent a chemical arachnoiditis. And then it also has activity cytarabine in non-Hodgkin's lymphomas like the hypersevrad regimen, um, a couple other regimens, and then ALL. So, uh, you know, like the FLAG or FLAG-IDA for AML, CLAG for AML, as well as uh, several other regimens for non-Hodgkin's lymphomas and, um, and ALL. So, you know, the, the dose-linked toxicity typically for cytarabine is myelosuppression, especially the, the higher dose, uh, as I talked about. Uh, that high-dose cytarabine is moderately emetogenic. Um, so even the high dose is not highly emetogenic, uh, and the standard dose is considered minimally emetogenic. Uh, you can see mucositis and diarrhea, uh, some transient LFT elevations, um, uh, and I'll talk about this, the, the toxicities that you need to really need to know in a second with high-dose therapy, but I'll tell you a quick story first. There's um, a cytarabine or Erisi syndrome, and uh, I've seen it once, and this is an example of, of like uh, maybe recency bias, um, but when I first saw this side effect or heard about this side effect, this Erisi syndrome, I thought it was incredibly prevalent because it was as a resident my first weekend staffing on the oncology floor and the very first real question I get from a physician is an oncology fellow saying, hey, can you use steroids to treat ARC syndrome? And this is literally in my first hour working as a pharmacist. First time staffing, I get that question, uh, I do some research, yeah, maybe it can help. Um, but because that was the first patient I saw uh, and that's the first question I got, I thought that it happened in everybody that got cytarabine, and to this day, that's the only time that I've seen it. And uh, the more that you practice oncology pharmacy and the more patients you see receive chemo, uh, the, the more you learn about these rare side effects and these rare sort of syndromes sometimes that happen with these drugs. 
But so ARC syndrome is characterized by fever, um, muscle and joint pain, bone pain, uh, and then a rash, and that typically happens within a day after the treatment. Um, and steroids may be effective, and most people give steroids uh, when this happens, but it's not proven to be effective because it's pretty rare and kind of hard to study. Uh, do the steroids help, or does it, is it just a self-limiting um, syndrome? Okay, if you look up, and I, I did this, I read through a couple you know, pharmacology textbooks, and they list a whole lot of side effects, but what they don't emphasize, to, in my opinion, are the two most important side effects that you have to know because you have to monitor and, and prevent these. And this is specifically with high-dose cytarabine. So these are one gram per meter squared or greater. Um, and that is cerebellar toxicity. And that can be permanent. And it can manifest as slurred speech, uh, impaired motor coordination. So the key thing here, and we have this on our chemo orders for any high-dose cytarabine, is for a neuro assessment every eight or every 12 hours that involves um, you talking to the patient, getting a handwriting sample, doing a little finger to nose uh, test to, to look for that cerebellar toxicity. It requires an immediate call to the oncologist if that's happening. And then the re-challenge if somebody has that is, uh, requires a really, really nuanced discussion about the risks and benefits with the patient. Risk factors for that cerebellar toxicity include uh, age above 60 uh, or, or increase in age and then an increase in serine creatinine. And there is a, a landmark study in the New England Journal of Medicine by Meyer uh, as the lead author uh, looking at high-dose cytarabine, that 3-gram dose per meter squared um, every 12 hours times, times 6 doses uh, on days 1, 3, and 5. Sorry, I didn't specify that. It's... Um, 3,000 milligrams per meter squared every 12 hours on day one, on day three, and day five. So it's not consecutive. It's There's a day apart between uh, uh, the doses. Um, but that study initially, and that was published, I want to say it was published in the mid-90s. Um, but that study, uh, originally the protocol was for everyone to get three grams per meter squared. And because of an unacceptably high um, uh, development of this cerebellar toxicity, they limited the dose to one gram per meter squared in those over the age of 60. So, you know, a twofold, a drastic decrease in dose for those over the age of 60. That's how severe the risk was for cerebellar toxicity. So always something to evaluate if you're looking at high DAC orders are going to be their age and their serum creatinine uh, and creatinine clearance. So that's one unique toxicity, is the cerebellar toxicity with high-dose cytarabine. The other is this conjunctivitis that I typically call a chemical conjunctivitis um, that, requ that requires a pretreatment with a corticosteroid eye drop. So prednisolone or dexmedazone eye drops, uh, and you give those before the first dose, and you continue them uh, for at least 48 hours after the last dose. Uh, and... Um, that's, I haven't seen any of the chemical conjunct or the con conjunctivitis with cytarabine. I've seen a few cases of cerebellar toxicity. Um, often we have not rechallenged. There's has been a time or two a rechallenge uh, was considered worth the risk. Well, that's cytarabine. Um, feel free to uh, to find us on on, uh, on iTunes and, and like, uh, rate, review us. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Uh, follow us on Twitter at OncofarbPod. You can follow me personally at FarmDeetNib. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll get back to uh, some of our landmark series and some updates on what's going on in oncology pharmacy. And as always, I hope to see you all a little further down the road.